Hey, let me jump into this because we're going to run out of time and, and uh, football. We get the second half. All right, so here we go. So over the past couple of weeks, um, we've been looking at some comparisons the Bible makes with the different aspects and characteristics of God. And we've been comparing them to, to water or, or H2O. And that's a parable or a metaphor. And it's just like any metaphor or parable in the Bible. The, the, the point is or the purpose is to take something that's not really familiar like God's stuff and spiritual stuff and, and compare it to something we're a little more familiar with and help us understand. That, that's how Jesus taught all the time when he was teaching about God to, to, to shepherds and fishermen and, and, and people like us, all right? So, so our goal for this whole series is simply to get to know God a little bit better. That's all we're trying to do. We can't get all of him, but we're trying to get to know God a little bit better, see him a little bit clearer. And in doing that, hopefully then you'll make your own decision about how God fits into your life, how he intersects and impacts your life. In other words, here's what we're kind of getting our arms around. If God's like this and does stuff like that, then, then maybe if I ask him, he would be involved in my life, even today. And some of us, let's just be honest, you know, we're not church people. We don't know a lot about God. And here's the thing is, that's okay. At least we're looking. Right? At least we're, we're trying to figure this God stuff out. And that's a good thing. Some of us in here are mistaken. We think we have God all figured out. All right? It's like, oh, God, yeah, I know all about him. And no, we don't. All right? It's impossible to have God all figured out. But either way, the, the goal is always the same. To, to, to examine or maybe re-examine what God says about himself in the Bible. Then ask ourselves if we believe that he's telling us the truth. Are you really like that, God? And then if we do believe it, then begin to live our lives in light of that truth. So in the first couple of weeks, God described his, his, his love or compared it to a deep and wide and vast ocean. And then not, not, not just saying stuff, but to, to demonstrate it or to prove how much he loves us and how committed he is to us and how much he's willing to lean in your direction to make sure that, that you're okay, he sent his one and only son Jesus to us. So that any mistake that you and I ever make, any sin that, that might get in the way or cut us off from God and living connected to this loving God, he, he would pay for that. He would remove that and be forgiven. That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. Because of that great ocean of love, here's the second part of that is we can find our identity in him. We can find our purpose and our worth and our value, not in what we look like. That's, that doesn't give you value if you look a certain way. Not, not, not in, in, in what you're able to do or if you can throw a ball through something or, or if you, if, by how much stuff you have or compared to other people. But really, it boils down to this. In, in one sentence, this kind of sums up the first couple of weeks. I matter because I matter to God. I matter because I'm important to God. God looks at me and goes, I created you in my image. I love you and you matter to me. And that, therefore, I, I matter. And then last week, we started getting into the kind of the, well, so what part of God? If God loves all people, what's that mean for us? And by us, I mean this. Those of us who are trying to figure him out and maybe try to, to follow him. What does that mean? I mean, it's great for us. No, I mean, here's what we've studied so far. You know, no matter how bad or how many times we've messed up or tripped up or screwed up, it's, it's a relief and a comfort to know that God still loves us that, he's, that he's, he hasn't given up on us. He's even willing to forgive any of our mistakes, all of us, and help us through whatever we're going through. But, but what we're trying to get our arms around is this. What does it mean for us in terms of how do we live our lives in a, in a world where God loves us because he loves everybody, but in a world where everybody doesn't love everybody else? And it doesn't look like anything's gonna change anytime soon, at least according to the news, right? Well, what does God expect you from you or require from us as followers of God? And here's the answer, all right? We looked at this last week. Do you remember this? In a little, little book in the Bible, Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has showed you, God has showed you, oh man or woman, what's good. So here's the good way to live your life if you follow God. And what does the Lord require of us? And here it is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, so, so here's the answer. If you claim to love God and you realize how much God loves you, if you're in a relationship with God that's right, rightly connected, 
then here's what he says is a good way to live your life. Here's what I require you, how, how I want you to live your life. We'll work backwards from that. First thing is, you, you have to walk humbly. If you love God, then this is, I'm talking about you. Nobody is exempt from this. Whatever God is telling us to do, you can't look back at him and go, no, 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 I'm exempt from that. I'm, I'm too good to do that. No, you have to be humble. Walk humbly and, and then do what? Love mercy. Literally, love mercy could be translated love loving people. You have to love loving people. You have to love, you know, love having compassion on people. And how do you love people? And here it is, act justly. Act justly. Not just believe in justice, act justly. And by act justly, God is not simply telling us to pray for the suffering people of the world, although we should certainly do that, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not telling us to simply stop being or, you know, don't be unjust to people, although he says that in a lot of places in the Bible, so it would certainly include that, but not here. See, when God commands us, his people, to act justly, it's an action-based command to actively get up out of this room and go do something. Bring justice to unjust situations. And the phrase or the metaphors that we looked at last week were, were these. Remember, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness flow like a never-failing stream. And if you break the Hebrew apart in that, it literally translates, let, let justice roll like a powerful, rolling, never-failing river that attacks injustice and moves and washes it out of the way the way a flooding river would. That's what God wants justice to flow in this world through his people. And justice, again, this is what we talked about last week, is broken into two parts. There's two kind of components to justice. There's primary justice. Primary justice provides people with what they need and what God wants all people to have, to have life. God says there's some basic needs, basic rights that, that, that all people on the planet ought to have in order to be able to have life. And then there's rectifying justice. It rectifies, or in other words, that is, it corrects something that's wrong or broken and makes it right or, or righteous. And again, anytime you look in the Bible, you can, neither part of this justice is ever portrayed as, as a, a trickling little brook. Justice is like a little stream, a little polite, quiet little water that's trickling down the No, no, no. You never hear justice described that way. It's always described as a rolling, raging river, providing and protecting people that God loves. And that includes everyone on the planet. But with God, it always starts with the same group of people. Remember this? The most vulnerable people in our world. What do you want to talk about? Widows, orphans, the poor, the weak, the alien, and the refugee. So it was the summer of 2007. Our high school students from here at Flatirons went to a conference in Durango with an organization called Christ in Youth. One of the things that CIY focused on that year was uh, the AIDS crisis in Africa along with the lack of clean water in Africa. And so the, our kids came back home with just kind of this fervor to do something. But one of the things that they really talked a lot about and focused on was if they wanted to do something for people thousands of miles away across oceans, they also should be willing to do something for people right here at home. I had been volunteering at Sister Carmen down the street and uh, I went in it to just do what we do and uh, I was talking to Ruth. She's like, we, we need food, you see these shelves here, they're, they're empty. During the summer months, after the holidays come February, people are not generally thinking about food drives and it's vacation time. We always struggle to keep food on the shelves, although we've never run out. We just saw that the shelves were empty and uh, that they really needed help. And so we sparked the idea of starting a food drive. So when our students saw that there was a need right here in this community that they could be a part of helping with, um, they jumped on it. They had an idea. They wanted to do a food drive. And so they came to 
uh, the leadership here at Flatirons and basically issued a challenge, kind of laid down the gauntlet and said, whatever we bring in for the food drive, would you give a dollar for every pound of food and would that money go to submissions organizations. Not only did we accept that challenge, but we decided that we would also participate in the food drive with our students and at the same time still match dollar for pound for every bit of food that was brought in. The day of the actual food drive, we had all the staff come and work different shifts and I remember getting a phone call that morning from someone on staff who said, you got to get down here. You got to get down here sooner. I get a phone call from Ruth and the program director saying that I had to come back immediately because it was they were overwhelmed by what they saw already with uh, nothing like we thought was going to happen. It was insane. It was like they had to call people. I remember people were getting called like we would call youth group students and can you come help? We need more people at the next service because it was wild. It was so much food. It was like the whole lobby was food watching all my friends like work, you know, and not work for their own their own ends or for what they want. It's just been awesome to watch like my friends be selfless in that way, you know, and then see that same growth within myself. And so I show up and I'm walking through the parking lot and there are pickup trucks passing me filled with food the entire back of the pickup truck. And it was like a tsunami of, of food coming in. And I remember standing at the front of the church and literally getting tears in my eyes and starting to cry because I'd just never seen anything like it. A lot of people do food drives, but nobody does a food drive like Flatirons Community Church. Here's my biggest fear is that you walked into that lobby just, just now and went, wow, wow, they don't need me. I forgot. And uh, that's not true. So if you, if you walked in the lobby and went, oh, I meant to do something, then after service, then go do something. Because the, the biggest thing that we want to say is not look what they did. It's look what we did. And if that's a can of soup, it doesn't matter. It's kind of like building this building. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's look what we did. And so uh, it's, it's important because one more can of soup or one, you know, one more whatever it is, box of cereal, will make a difference in somebody's life. It just really will. I wish I had time. I guess I do. I'm going to keep going. Uh, what, you can leave if you want. But anyway... Um, I wish I had time. The, the emails and things, the Facebook messages have been coming in. Um, uh, a lady works at a bank. Uh, she couldn't reveal any of the details, but uh, a single mom came in with her two little kids and took all the money out of her savings account. She was saving up for a new camera, and she said, we took it all out, and we went to Costco, and, and uh, I want my kids to know that this is more important. And then there's a Costco uh, uh, cashier. Costco loves us. Thank you. And... Uh, and uh, said uh, to one of the, the, the families that was buying a, a big push cart full of stuff is that your church is uh, restoring my faith in humanity. And, uh, uh, and, you, and you, guys, you guys have restored my faith in church. And so I just, uh, I just thank you. And I, on behalf of Sister Carmen and a lot of people who've been praying for food, uh, just thank you for what, what you've done so far. Now, let me j- jump into this. If, if last week was about this justice that provides what God wants all people to have in order to have a better life, today I, I wanna look at the other part of justice. The justice that protects people from and removes anything or anyone that stands in the way of a person having what God wants them to have. You see, we, would all, we all agree with this, that the world would be a better place if everybody was connected rightly to God and therefore loved and treated everybody like they really believed they had the image of God in them. 
We also know, let's just deal with reality, that a lot of times, most of the time, that doesn't really happen in our world. And when it doesn't happen, God, in, God instructs, he actually requires that his people, so if you consider yourselves a follower of God, this is for you tonight, all right? But this is what he requires of his people. He requires that we pursue rectifying or correcting justice to protect those who are being denied what God wants them to have. And what's that mean for us? What does that look like in our world? I want to look at a really famous story in the Bible. Maybe you've only heard three or four Bible stories in your whole life. As soon as I get into this one, you're going to go, oh yeah, I think I've heard this one. We're in Luke chapter 10. And in this story, we are going to see both kinds of justice. The kind that provides and also the kind that needs to protect. Luke chapter 10, verse 20, 25. Here we go. It's on the screen. It says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law. So this is a snobby religious guy, by the way. All right. Stood up to test Jesus. So he's going to try to ask Jesus a question. And Jesus isn't going to be able to answer it. And they're going to go, oh, he's a fake. So here's the question. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what must I do to, to, to be connected to God? So God's like really pleased with me, all right? Here's what Jesus says. What's written in the law or what's in the Bible? He replied, how do you read it or how do you understand it? He answered, the religious guy answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And again, we talk about this all the time. Jesus said the whole Bible could be really condensed down to two phrases. Love God and love people. So the guy has answered the question, the right answer, all right? And Jesus agrees. Look at the next verse. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Ding, 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 all right? Do this and you will live. And it really translates, do this perfectly and you will live. If every day of your life you perfectly love God and perfectly love people, then you and God are just gonna be fine. Look at verse 20. Here's the response. But he, the religious guy, he wanted to justify himself or justify his position. So he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Now, you got to pay attention to that because the reason this guy is asking questions is not so they can have a better idea of where do I start. Hey, Jesus, could you just kind of clear it up? Who do I need to start? I want to help people. Who should I start with first? That's not what he's asking Jesus. He's actually looking for Jesus to tell him who it's okay not to help. Who can I leave out, all right? Hey, Jesus, who can I ignore? Who can I look at and be justified in saying, well, God doesn't want me and I don't, I don't want to because God doesn't expect me to help people like that. God doesn't expect me to have mercy on people like that or, you know, women that do stuff like that. No, no, no. So who's my neighbor? Who can I leave out? Jesus tells a story like he always does. Verse 30, famous story. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Those are two cities in Israel. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, that's a religious leader, happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man in the ditch, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, that's a religious guy, like a, like a volunteer, right? When he came to the place and saw the man in the ditch, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, now here's the thing is, when, when the guy that was listening to Jesus' story heard the word Samaritan, I'm sure he went, ah, because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Uh, wrong race, wrong color, wrong belief system, uh, lived in the wrong part of town. I mean, Jews and Samaritans just didn't like each other. So, so they just, they, I'm sure this guy was like, ah, oh, we're not gonna talk about those people, are we? But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was in the ditch. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That was the medicine of the day. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is what we looked at last week. This is primary primary justice, loving mercy. I want to bear the burden of this wounded man. I want to provide relief in a time of crisis, food, medicine, shelter, and it's going to cost me my own money to do that. 
So that's what he does. Then Jesus looks at the religious guy and asks a question. Here it is, verse 36. Which of these three, priest, Levite, Samaritan, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of, of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, right, go and do likewise. So the moral, the, the obvious application for the story is this. The life of a person who's rightly connected in a relationship with God is, is the person who motivated by God and motivated by how God loves people sees any person in need regardless of their race, their creed, their color, their religious beliefs or whatever beliefs and provides justice, provides and supplies the love and mercy and medicine and food so that the person who's been beaten, who's been denied of their rights, denied of justice, receives what God wants all of us to have. And that's called primary justice. All right? Now, keep going with this story, all right? Kind of, let's just kind of play this out a little bit. Let's say that tomorrow, the Samaritan man is walking down the same road again and he sees another guy in the ditch, got beaten up by robbers, all right? What's he do? Uh, I don't know. Let's hopefully, puts him on his donkey, goes in and they get a double room, you know, back there at the inn or whatever, checks him in, I'll take care of that guy too, all right? Because I, go, I gotta come this way tomorrow. So the next day, he, he's going down this road and guess what he finds in the ditch? Another man beaten up by robbers. And this goes on for quite a while, all right? And eventually, all right, somebody needs to ask a bigger question. You know what it is? Does anybody think we ought to do something about the robbers. It's like, oh, what? It's right, that, I never thought of that. Maybe we should get rid of the robbers. That would help everything, all right, right? And the answer is yes. We should do something about the robbers. And that's called rectifying justice. And it takes place on several different levels in our world, getting rid of the robbers, all right? And tonight, I want to look at some of those levels and how you and I are and can be involved in rectifying or correcting justice, stopping unjust things from continuing to happen to people and moving things back towards justice. We're gonna look at several different levels, okay? Let's go at kind of the big level, all right? First of all, the Bible charges and establishes agents of rectifying justice on the civil or the government level. So go back to the story that the first level of defense, you know, to keep robbers from hurting people on that road would be the police or the military, right? That's biblical, all right, look at this, Romans 13. A lot of you are gonna hate this part of the sermon, all right? So just hang on, you know, go, go get coffee, but come back, all right? So Romans chapter 13, verse one. A lot of you skipped right over this in your Bible. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Uh, first of all, we hate the word submit and we don't like the government. There we go, all right? So everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, here's the thing is, let's be honest. Most of us, on a day-to-day -day basis, we don't look at the cops or the army as authority established by God, right? Don't raise your hand. There's a bunch of cops in here, right? Right? As a matter of fact, Paul, the guy who wrote that, ends up dying in a Roman government prison, all right? They're the same government that he's telling Christians, you should submit to this government. So, Let's try to figure out why that makes sense. Let me give you kind of a, a, a note of explanation. You know, I've read the Bible cover to cover several times. I can't find any scripture where, where God would require a person to submit themselves to an authority who's demanding or requiring a person go against God and his higher commands. All right? And they paid the price for it, but there's, no, there's nothing that says that you should submit to someone telling you to disobey God. The Bible is full of examples of men and women who refuse to obey the orders of the king or the rulers, or the army, when they were commanding that person to abandon God's instructions. A lot of them died in prison, a lot of them were, were, were crucified, but, but God did not require them to follow unjust rulers. 
It's the same thing in the Bible when God looks at children and says, children, obey or submit to your parents in the Lord. He's not telling kids, no matter what your parents do, if they abuse you and beat you and everything, you just suck it up and you take it. You take it. He, he doesn't tell us to do that. No, if it's unjust, you have to get out from under it. Like our country. Our country was founded as a response and a rebellion against unjust government authority, right? But what God is talking about here is authorities that he has set up and put in place to protect you and to provide for all people everywhere. That's what he's talking about. Look at the next verse. It gets worse. Look at this, verse two, all right? Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. For those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right and he will commend you. And we're going to keep going. I want you to see how God wants us, his people, to regard civil authorities. And let me just take a time out here because we're going to get to you in just a second. But if you're involved in, as a civil authority, government, law enforcement, military, pay really close attention. Because this first, it sounds like, oh yeah, we've got, yeah, yeah, keep on preaching to me. But you're going to be held accountable to this too. So it's going to flip on you if you get too arrogant, all right? Look at verse four. For he, you, police, cops, whatever that is, military, for he is God's servant to do us good, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid of, 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 the, of the police, all right? For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He's God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. So here's what, what God says, here's what I require of my people who are trying to bring justice to this world. You need to obey the laws. Not because you don't, just don't wanna go to jail or, or pay the fine, but because according to God's word, it's the right thing to do. It's the just thing to do. Now, nowhere in the Bible does God give any individual the right to take authority upon themselves to administer justice. The way we would say today is no one's allowed to take the law into their own hands, whether they're in, in political office or a policeman. No, no, no. That is given by God to the governing authorities of the land for one purpose, for protection and provision of the people that God loves. It gets worse. Look at verse 6. Here we go, right? This is also why you pay taxes. This is a fun sermon, all right? This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. What do you mean? If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If you, if you have a light bill, pay your light bill, in other words. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So the easiest application of this first level of understanding of rectifying or corrective justice is this. God requires that, that we, his followers of Jesus, all right, that we act justly. What's that mean? It means we obey the protective laws of the land and not complain when we get punished for breaking the laws of the land that are in place to protect us and other people. It means we should pay our taxes on time. It means we should pray for our leaders, whether we voted for them or not, and we should be involved in our government. If you don't like a law or a policy or a direction that the leadership of your city or your state or your, your country is going, that doesn't give you the right to break it. And don't sit around criticizing or complaining about it unless you're also willing to get involved and legally move towards change. Here's my personal philosophy. If you don't vote, shut up. You don't have a right to complain, all right? That's just me. Now, if you, that's not in the Bible. That's just Jim. So like, I didn't like that part. All right, pray about it, all right? So if you, if you want to work for change, how about this? Enlist. It's one thing to criticize the, the, the police force. Join them. Run for office and fight for justice within the system. Which, which brings me to, to this. I want to talk briefly to those in here today who, who are part of the, that established authority established by God. 
I want to talk to the men and women here tonight who are involved in our government, especially the brave men and women who serve in our police force and our military. All right? I'm looking straight ahead or looking down because several of you have pulled me over. So here we go. All right? Now... All right, so, and last week, I, I told you, if you know a cop or you have someone, a friend of yours that's in the military, you ought to bring him here, and you'll see why in just a minute. The first thing I want to say to you this, all right, officer, would be this, is um, you, you've been given the right and the authority by God. God's given you the right. And, the, and we, the people, we, we've, we've given you the right to wield power and force for the purpose of the good of the people. But honestly, that power has caused several of your colleagues to act in ways that have tarnished your calling and your vocation. Not all of you, but we all know what we're talking about. And there's accountability with your office and your power. See, I don't put myself in the same category, but it's like me. Every time I stand up here and I say something like this, this is what God says. If I don't get that right, it's not good. Right, I've read the last chapter of the Bible as there's plagues and millstones around necks and stuff like that. So there's consequences, okay? So let me just tell you, it's the same for you. The way Jesus said it in Luke chapter 12 is, to whom much has been giving, given, responsibility, power, whatever, much is required and much is expected of you. God will hold leaders and authorities to a higher standard of responsibility and accountability. So you need to file that away. The Bible calls you the men, the, and I'm talking about the men and women who serve in government positions as officials and officers and soldiers. The Bible calls you God-established servants. And God expects us to treat you with honor and respect. But we and God also expect you to act with honor and respect. And it'd be really great if you see a flattering sticker in the window on a red trailblazer, just let it go. That would be cool. All right, so now... <laughs> I'm looking at a cop over here, so I'm just going to look straight ahead here, all right? So... I'm just kidding on that, kind of. So secondly, all right, <laughs> the Bible says that we're to give respect and honor to, to people in positions of trust and authority, all right? And that would be you. Now here's the thing is, here's reality. Typically, you only hear from the community when you do something wrong, right? I mean, you can do a hundred things right and you do one thing wrong and the, it's on TV and everything. But how about the, on behalf of this community, I can't speak for the world, I'm talking about Flatirons. Could I allow us, could I say thank you for us, for your service? And here's what I mean. Last week out in the lobby, I had a cop from Arvada come up and give me this wristband. Every police officer knows what this is. It's, it's given, people wear it in honor of fallen police officers. And on it is this, this blue line, and it represents this thin blue line that police stand on, which separates calm from chaos. And so I wear it proudly. So, so here's what I want to do. All right, I want to I say thank you for standing on that line between calm and chaos. So here's, here's what I want you to do. If, if you're here, I'm not talking about tomorrow or whatever. If you're here, whether you, this is your first time here or not, and you are a police officer or currently serving in our military, or you're married to one of those people, currently, all right? Stand up, just stand up, all right? And remain standing, okay? So if, you, if you're in the military or you're a cop and married to one, stand up and stay standing, really, stand up. Good. Stay up, all right, stay up, all right? Up there too. Now here's the thing is, all right? I know, stay up, stay up, stay up, stay up. So I know, I, know, I know a little bit about your life, not a lot about your life. I've got some good friends of mine that are both in the military and cops. And here's the thing is, you're, you're underappreciated and you're underpaid, all right? And I can't take care of that, but I can do this. Uh, on behalf of the church, um, we worked some stuff out with a local uh, restaurant, Bonefish Grill, it's one of my favorite. Uh, it's also Outback in Carabas. Uh, we want to treat you all to dinner. So after church, 
If you'll go out to the far end of the information booth, all right, um, there's a $50 gift card out there to, uh, to, to, for dinner, all right? And so you take that and, and go eat dinner. And um, go ahead and sit down. That, uh, that didn't come close to showing appreciation, but uh, the, just the stories last I had this woman come up to me and tears in her eyes. And she says, thank you. My, my husband's in Iraq. He gets home in a month and I'm taking him out to dinner. And I went, well, if it gets kind of sucky between now and then, just go eat by yourself. And uh, she says, I might, you know. So, uh, so I just want to say thank you for that, um, for all you do. So on the first level, uh, a few of us are going to do that. We're going to become, you know, get involved in government or law enforcement. We're going to enlist in the military for a stint for the purpose of pursuing justice. Or to go back to the Bible, we want to stop robbers from hurting people on the road. And then all of us on the next level are, are to cooperate and respect those who hold those offices. But the other thing I want to spend the rest of our time on, I'm going to run out of time, but I'm just going to keep going, so leave if you have to. But how else can we work to, towards seeing injustice identified and addressed and then swept away? The next level I think that we could do that on is, is us as a community, as Flatirons. See, we, we can accomplish some things together that individually we might not be able to do. And I'm not suggesting that we, you know, go political and start endorsing candidates. We're never going to do that. I'm not going to do that. We're not going to, you know, raise an army. or any, That did not go well for the church. The whole crusade thing backfired. So no, we don't, we're not going to do that, all right? But, but together we can do some things that, that have the potential to have more impact than if we try to do the same things individually. It goes back to that, that box, $1 in a box. You know, nobody's life, I can't live because I gave $1, but also nobody's life was changed because they got $1. That when we pool our voices and our resources and our money together, then our impact for justice and against injustice multiplies exponentially. What, what do I mean? Look at the lobby. I mean, look at the lobby, it's full, full of food. What, what do I mean? I mean, I mean 1,400 little kids went back to school this past week with a backpack full of new school supplies that without you, this community, joining together to make a difference and going, yeah, God, I'll help, all right? They would have gone to school with nothing again. It means this, is that at least 10% of all the tithes and offerings that you guys put in those buckets on your way out are designated to be given away, away from Flatirons, into this community, international missions and local stuff in this community. What's that mean? It means this. We're very strategic with every dime that you trust us with. We have a lot of new people in here. You have no idea what we do with money around here or where that money goes that goes in those buckets or, or around. So I want to take some time. And again, this is not to pat flat irons on the back because I wish we were doing so much more. I just want you to know what happens around here and what we can do together. And it happens every, almost every day, but several times throughout the week, but if someone approaches the church with a financial need or a crisis, I can't pay this bill or I need some medicine or something like that, we give priority to the, to the individual who, who's actively involved in volunteering and serving here at, at Flatirons. We, we, we prioritize that over the request of, I have a neighbor whose friend has a grandma in Florida who needs some help. Okay, now listen, God loves grandma and it's a worthy request and I love grandma, all right? But here, here's the thing is, um, given our limited resources, strategically the best stewardship would be to address those needs of the people whom we can continue to have an ongoing relationship with. That's not selfish, it's smart, it's strategic, and it's biblical. In the book of Acts, when the church was just getting started, that's the model that they followed. They addressed as many financial needs of the poor as they could, but they prioritized the widows and the orphans and the needy people who were involved in that church to make sure their needs were met first. The other reason we prioritize this way is that while a lot of people see the church as kind of being a relief agency, just hand out food and money and don't ask questions, all right, and we, we do that some, God also sees his church as an agency that brings change. 
that takes broken things and, and makes them healthy. Meaning this, we, we don't simply hand out money to everybody who asks for money. However, when we do hand out money, we realize that there is usually something else going on in their life that led to the situation that brought them to the point going, I need some help. So we may pay for somebody's bill, but we may tie it to their willingness to sit down and review the financial situation and the decisions and mistakes that got them to the point where they had to ask for help. And possibly, maybe they're locked in a cycle of poverty and bad decisions and habits that have to be addressed and changed and broken or nothing will ever change. And they'll just come back next month going, I can't pay their bill again this, this month. Listen, some people aren't interested in changing. Some people aren't interested in breaking cycles of poverty. All right, that's between them and God. We're always gonna give priority to those who want to. That, that's why we partner with local agencies that we, we're really, really careful who we partner with. Like Sanchez Elementary School, we form, helped form the Sanchez Foundation, helping families at, uh, of the, one of the poorest schools in this whole state. And it's just a few blocks from here. Or Sister Carmen, Habitat for Humanity. Sister Carmen has developed a program called Bridges Out of Poverty. They work with families to get them out of poverty. Habitat for Humanity has, has its keys program that, that identifies old bad habits and cycles and prepares and equips future homeowners with new tools and disciplines to move into the future. It also includes that everybody that gets a house from Habitat for Humanity has to put 200 to 500 hours of their own sweat equity in before they move in. See, all of these organizations are not just about handing out money or bringing relief, but also about bringing change and seeing justice correct what is broken. We're committed to that. In the last year, just in the last 12 months, Flatirons, that's you, all right, has contributed over $300,000 to those agencies as well as hundreds of thousands of pounds probably after tomorrow. Hundreds of volunteers who, who do everything from pound nails and hang drywall and sort and distribute food. And then on top of that, another three or 400,000 goes to other local downtown Denver stuff and international communities just to pour money into the community. And I hear this all the time as a pastor, especially when we're trying to move in here. Uh, in this Albertsons and this Walmart. I hear this complaint all the time. Churches don't pay sales tax. You're right. I, I didn't come up with that one. My idea, you know, it's the government decided to do that. Well, how about this? Next year, with our commitment of giving no less than 10% of our budget back into the community, our giving to international and local missions and community aid will be over $800,000 and in reality, probably closer to a million dollars. And that's just based on what you put in the buckets back there. But Flatirons is having a, a, an impact in other ways as well, like, like a domino effect. I'll give you an example. A few months ago, an individual, and he doesn't even, even come to Flatirons. I don't know if he's ever been here or not. He, I've never met him, and I still don't know his name. But he, he called Michael Kane, who's our financial pastor, says, I need to meet with you. So he said that he wanted to give Flatirons his tithe money, his money that he sets aside a part of his income and gives it, gives it back to God. He says, I don't want to give it to my own church <laughs> because... I gave it to them before and they didn't spend it on missions and helping the poor after they promised me that that's what they would spend it on. They spend it on themselves. <laughs> to which I wanna go, then why do you still go? But that's just me, all right? So <laughs> if you're here and I don't know your name, why do you still go there? But that's just me, all right? So after further discussion, he handed Michael a check for $232,500. And we sat down with that and we showed him where every dime would be and later where it was spent. 
Let me just tell you what that was. International, we worked with our refugee work over with Sozo in Afghanistan. Development in the slums of Mexico City with the poor down there. Locally, housing and financial assistance to Habitat for Humanity and Sister Carmen, all right? On top of that, part of it was given to Boulder-based group called I Empathize, which targets and fights human trafficking and rescues children from the injustice of child prostitution all over the world. That's the same group that we gave $100,000 to two years ago when we recorded our worship CD. And the reason I tell you all that again is not to pat ourselves on the back because I wish we were doing so much more but to point out what is possible if we together as a community pool our resources together to bring rectifying justice and mercy to this community. It means not just immediate urgent needs such as food and shelter and financial emergencies, although we're gonna continue to do that, but also about breaking bad cycles of poverty and violence and abuse. Sometimes they go back for generations. It's all people know. I wanna talk about one more thing that I think we could do, or at least I think we can do, at least I'd like to see us move towards that. Now, I gotta tell you this. I don't even know if this is legal. So if it's not, just pray for me, all right? But anyway, here's what I mean. And again, <laughs> you know, what's he gonna say? Well, just hang on, right? You know, I look around Lafayette and list some of the neighboring communities and I've had a chance to kind of drive through and walk through and poke my head in a few of them, like, like when we deliver food and stuff at Christmas and some of the living conditions just within a few blocks of this building. It's not you'd think it's a third world country. Here's what I mean. There are, there are a whole bunch of low-income families living in unsafe, unsanitary, dangerous, and below building code living situations. I'll, I'll give you one example. You probably know more than me, but there's a two-bedroom apartment less than a mile from here. There are 15 people living in it with barely any working plumbing. They cook on a hot plate because the landlord ignores or refuses to perform basic maintenance on his property. And the residents have no money or social clout to get representation and they fear repercussion, getting kicked out if they were to protest. What if, again, I don't know if we can do this, but what if as a united community of several thousand people, citizens, voters, we begin to approach local city governments and officials who have been in place been put in place by the people and for the people, I read that somewhere, and charged by God to protect its citizens. I read that somewhere else. And we, we kind of leaned on them and demanded that the local authorities just do their job and lean on those landlords, bring their property up to legal health codes. And if the landlords respond and do so, great, the situation gets fixed. But, but, but if they won't, what if, and this is where it gets kind of crazy, what if we as a church started buying those not, now condemned properties and we, we use you guys to fix them up or we donated them to organizations that would fix them up like Habitat for Humanity and then allowed Habitat to fill them with residents who are committed to breaking the cycles of poverty. I don't want to be poor anymore. I don't want handouts anymore. I just need help getting on my feet. And again, I don't know if it's possible. And if you're sitting here going, well, I don't know if that's possible, but maybe it'll lead to another idea and a better idea and a better idea. All I'm doing is I'm dreaming and I'm asking, what, what if and what would it look like if we as a community attack local poverty and unjust living conditions? Now, I'm almost out of time. Here's the thing. I could go on. That's I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, way to go, Jim. Whatever, all right. I don't know how to do that, so someone's got to show me how to do that. But I could go on about what I want to do in Afghanistan and Mexico City. And in a couple months, we're going to go visit some places in Africa, Uganda, and Sudan where people have just been obliterated. But I want to close by switching gears a little bit. And I want to talk about us, you. We've talked about rectifying justice on, a, on a, like a government level. We talked about how we can together link arms and, and, and how justice can be leveraged for the poor. But I want to talk about you every day. When you go to school or you go to work, whether you're six or you know, 106, how you can bring justice to an unjust world. 
You know, I was a little kid. I grew up in a little town in, in northern Indiana. And one of the first songs, my dad was a pastor. And one of the first songs I ever remember learning in church was this. Sing along if you know it. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's a good song. It's probably true. All right? And, and here's the thing. I guess I, I believed it. But really, back then, only on a theoretical level, and here's why. I didn't know any children who were red, yellow, or black. It's like, well, I don't know what that's about, but I'll sing it. You know? and, uh, and here's why. I grew up in this little bitty town where everybody looked like me. Everybody lived in a house kind of like mine, all right? Ate food kind of like mine and all cheered for the same school because there's only one school, all right? But the older I got and the more people I met, the more I kind of got out of my town and got on airplanes and went to other places in the world. Here's the thing is, I realize that there are a lot of people in the world that are different than me. They look different than me, they act different than me, they, they think different than me, and they believe things that are different than what I believe. And many times my initial response is to draw back from people who are different than me. I tend to walk on the other side of the road. Don't you? Just be honest with yourself. But over the past few days, this last week, last week's talk, I gotta tell you, it messed me up. I hate it when my own talk's like, I can't believe I believe what I'm saying. You know, and it's just, it's just messing me up. And, and here's what I mean, I mean is, is if all we do is sit in here and go, that's right, I'm sure that's true about God. And I think some of you people ought to do what Jesus tells us to do, all right? But, but if we don't get up out of rooms like this asking ourselves this question, but what's that mean for me? Then you just wasted your hour. See, the, pur the purpose of this series is to get to know or see God better. Right? That's why we come back here. I want to see God for who he really is. But what Jesus keeps coming back to is this. If you see God for who he really is, you have to see people different. If you, if you understand God, and, and you, have to, you have to look at people different, and you have to treat people different, better, truer. And I'm going to give you an example of this. It's probably going to offend some of you. And it's offensive. I'll just give you that. But it slapped me in the face last week. After church, Robin and I were, we were going over to Flatiron Mall because... Village Tavern has an $8 special on Sunday night. It's really good. You should go there. But anyway, um, and I don't get any kickback from that. But anyway, so anyway, we're, I'm driving up and down the, the parking lot there by Village Tavern over the mall, right? And there's never enough parking spaces there. But I'm going up and down. And as we turn the corner, we're going down this aisle. Right in, in the middle of the lane, there are these two like super skinny guys walking. They had those little like skin tight little jeans on that. I don't, have, I don't understand how people breathe. But anyway, so they're walking down there, all right? And I look at Robin and before I can say what I started to say, and I'm going to tell you what I started to say. I started to look at Robin and go, I think they're gay. That's what I started to say to her. Before I could say that, they start kissing and making out right in front of my car. Now, honestly, in the past, all right, my first response would have been some, say some really smart aleck comment, say something really, really mean. Which, by the way, I would have said that about a straight couple making out in the middle of the parking lot because I don't think anybody should make out in the mall parking lot. That's just, that's just gross. That's just me, gay or straight. There you go. All right, so here's the thing. is, On that day, yesterday, last Sunday afternoon, here was my response as I'm driving and waiting for them to get out of the way. I got really sad. And I thought to myself, those, those two young guys have God's image in them. I wonder if they know that. And I wonder if they know how much God loves them, how much he values them, that they matter to him. Here's the last question. I kind of, just went in an instant. And I wonder what they think about Christians. And after that, I, I couldn't really bring myself to make a joke about a couple of God's kids. Right? And I'm not, listen, I'm not comparing myself to Jesus because my track record of compassion is not that great. And I'm sure that after tonight, I'm gonna make mistakes in the future. But I think that's why Jesus was always putting himself between mean people and broken, hurting people. What, what do you mean? The, the Bible's full of stories like that. 
Like this girl that slept with the wrong guy and people wanted to have her stoned to death. Jesus could have ignored that and just walked on the other side of the street and let him kill her. Or he could have joined in. You know, remember what he did? He put himself between calm and chaos, right? The same, there's another story about this depressed kid who used to cut himself and I don't really understand that but everybody kind of gave up on him or there's this woman that was sick for 12 years and nobody wanted to be around her because she was a downer. Then there's that tax collector who ripped people off and everybody wanted to kick him out of their society and kick him out of the club and Jesus always put himself between the bullies and the bullied, between the strong and the weak, between the stone throwers and the about to be stoned. He always did that. See, Jesus taught us to love one another and to pray for one another and to help one another and to forgive one another and to feed one another. But he also, over and over and over, physically put himself between those who were about to inflict pain and and, and injustice and those who were too weak to defend themselves. Why? Why did he do that? And then why does he look at us and go, I want you to do that? And here's the answer, because that's what you do. When you see God for who he really is and begin to see people for who they really are and who they are to God, it's called justice. And God tells us to do the same thing. Every day, at school, at work, at home. He says, let justice roll on like a river. But let's think about that. You know, every river I've ever seen is really just a whole bunch of little streams coming together. Right? It's a little creek over here and a little stream over here, all kind of coming together and merging together. And I think that's why God picked this metaphor. It's what God had in mind when he talked about justice. I think he looks at it and goes, every day, if you and you and you and her and, and you all over there, if you would just every day love people, Do your part, treat people fairly and equally without discrimination. Put yourself between the bully and the bullied simply because you see them as people whom God loves and died for and who are created in his image, whether you agree with their life or their lifestyle or not. And then together, if we would do that, we could flow together and and take what we individually are doing every day, everywhere, and become a rolling river. That's the kind of community I want to be a part of. Let's stand up. I, we're going we're gonna to read two verses off the screen and then uh, Luke is going to teach us this great song. So let's stand up and, and remember, if you're a police officer currently and the military is currently, then you go out there and, and get that. And if you forgot groceries, then you go to the grocery store and uh, let's let justice roll. Let's read this together. Here we go. One, two, three. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Micah 6, 8. He has showed you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of us? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God, I just come before you on behalf of this community. We are blown away by your ocean of love and that you demonstrated it for us. And, and God, it just, it just blows me away. And because of that, we just wanted to say thank you. But we also need to confess to you that we still don't get it sometimes. And we walk on the other side of the road because it's inconvenient or it's, it just is a, it, it's, a, it's a downer or we just don't know what to do when we see people hurting. But that's no excuse. So God, would you just right now work in our hearts and work in our minds and work in our eyes so we can begin to see people the way you see them. And God, there's people that you don't agree with and there's people that, that you look at and go, that's not the right way to live your life. But, but you also sent Jesus to them too, just like you sent him to us. And who are we? to throw stones at anybody. Because I've never met anybody who turned their face towards you because somebody threw a stone at them. So God, if we have sinned against our brothers and our sisters in this world simply because we don't like them or we don't agree with them or they're just different, will you forgive us? And God, will you move this church to become, I mean, it's, it's, it's the best thing I've ever been a part of in my life, but, but I, I just believe it's a ripple compared to what it could be as more and more we surrender to you and see people the way that you that you see them.
God, I love you. I cannot wait to see what you're going to do in the future through this place. Um, on behalf of that, that, that woman that's sitting out there at her kitchen table trying to figure out how she's going to feed her kids this, this week, would you just right now somehow whisper to her, help us on the way. Just hang on a, a couple more hours because God's river is about to just flow. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.